0: When someone is saved, they're not just saved from something. They're saved to something. They're not just saved from someone. They're saved to someone. We're not just saved from where we were. We're saved unto where we are or where we're going. And we're not just saved from who we were, but We are saved unto who we are and who we are becoming. So we're not just saved from, we're saved to. We're not just saved from, we are saved to. Now this most powerful truth is taught to us by one of the most basic, elemental, everyday of things, bread, bread. We're going to talk a lot today about bread. Bread's a a powerful symbol. It can mean all sorts of things. It can represent life, physical provision. It can represent spiritual nourishment, sustenance, goodness, joy, celebration, a load of things. And so we're going to dig into that today as we go on exploring the ancient Jewish feasts. And we're going to look at one that is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which I realize that that most of us probably don't know much about, and and that's okay, but its meaning uh, is significant. It's loaded with goodness and beauty and truth, and I I pray that uh, we'll see why by the end of the day, and I believe it will challenge us. I believe it will challenge us. If we have the ears to hear it, I think it will reshape how we go about our days As apprentices of Jesus. Now we are in a series on the feasts and we have been looking at how God has appointed sacred rhythms for his people. The one and the seven, the the weekly Sabbath and then seven annual feasts. Why? Well that God might show who he is and what he's done and what he's going to continue to do as he fulfills his promises so that God's people might know who they are and whose they are. In other words, he's appointed these sacred rhythms to train our imaginations that we might see reality as reality is. So here's a brief overview of those feasts just to catch us up to speed. So the first one was the weekly one. This is Sabbath. This is rest. And then the seven annual ones are Passover. And then you can distill each one of these down to a word. So Passover is about redemption. Unleavened bread, today's feast, is about cleansing, First fruits is about resurrection. Pentecost is about the spirit, trumpets gathering, the Day of Atonement, repentance, and the Feast of Tabernacles is about presence. And when you put all these together, what God has done in his his divine brilliance is to show us a portrait of Jesus. So the flow of these throughout the year point us to a portrait of Jesus. Because Jesus has invited us into the joy of his rest. The rest that comes by redemption from slavery. Cleansing from sin. Giving resurrection life by his spirit. Gathering for himself a people of repentance who delight to live in God's holy presence. So in that sentence you can see each one of those key words that is a summation of that feast. These feasts were not just for a holiday holiday. These feasts were to show who the Holy One is and what he's doing. So today we're going to see how this works even more. We're going to talk about the feast of unleavened bread. Now, don't be fooled. This unleavened bread, this leavened bread, it all has to do with you. It has to do with me. It has to do with your secret thoughts. It has to do with what you do in the dark. It has to do with your relationships, it has to do with your devices, it has to do with how you eat and how you drink, it has to do with what you pursue, it has to do with what you give your attentions to, it has to do with in whom or what you place your trust, it has to do with how you think and how you act, so it's kind of important on every, every level. See, it has to do with what we're saved from, and what we are saved to. So let's talk about this feast of unleavened bread now. Let's follow the, the trail of crumbs, so to speak, to Jesus because it leads us brilliantly and precisely in a very fine-tuned way to Jesus. So let's talk about bread. Our houses, they are filled with leaven. All of our houses, they are filled with leaven, from bagels to, to biscuits to Donuts to goldfish, pretzels to French bread, to the glorious smelling homemade half domes of sourdough that make dieting really hard when some of you are really good at sourdough and it comes our way. Our houses are full of leaven. I mean, there's bits, there's this pieces of, of leaven in our pantries, right? In, in our toasters. And houses all over the world are full of leaven because bread is one of the most elemental foods found all across the globe. Now, imagine, imagine having to get rid of every bit of leaven from your house. Like This is a monumental task, a Herculean effort. Every last bit removed from your house, that would take a lot of looking and scouring and cleaning and, and sweeping and, and vacuuming. It's a serious deep clean. I mean, there's going to be a Cheerio hidden under a couch cushion somewhere, right? And if you have toddlers, the places Cheerios can be found is just insane. So imagine you had to remove all of it from your house. Well, this is what the Jewish people have done for centuries, right? Before the spring feast of the Passover, the house would be cleaned, would be cleansed from all of this leavened food stuff. And this is called the Feast of Unleavened Bread, uh, Ha Ha matzot. Uh, and so everything would had to be cleared out of the house before the Passover meal. So traditionally, this, this cleansing of the house is a full family affair. Uh, for some, it would take about a month. Others would do it in a few days. But it would have to be done right before the Feast of Passover. And so, again, full family affair. Usually the, the full family would clean, but uh, primarily the, the wife would clean. But then keep a few hidden pieces. He would take about 10 different crumbs or, or bits of leaven and hide those somewhere in the house as, as kind of this game of, of hide and seek that was part of this whole ritual. Well, before the Passover would begin, the father and the kids would go through the house with some candlelight and look for these last crumbs, these 10 bits of leavened bread. And so uh, the father would be armed with a candle and a feather and a wooden spoon and they would go from room to room holding up the candle in the dark trying to find these last bits of leaven. And when uh, he or the kids all found it, the candle would be set down and they would take, the father would take that feather and then softly sweep the crumbs of, of leavened bread into that wood spoon and then that leaven would be carried on that wood spoon And then he would wrap up those bits uh, into uh, a linen cloth or, or some type of uh, bag And then he would say now I have ridden my house of leaven And then the next morning uh, they would take that that bag of leaven and they would go throw it into um, A fire at the synagogue and it would be burnt up gone put away the ceremonial cleaning of the house is called the bedekat chametz, uh, and all the leaven would be gone. All gone. No bagels, no, no donuts, right? No, no wonder bread, no pretzels, no biscuits, not for a week. No leavened bread for a week, not a cheerio in sight, right? What kind of bread could they eat? Unleavened bread. What's this called? Matzah bread, right? Matzah bread. Well, what is, what is, the, is matzah? It's, it's like a flat cracker, basically. That's all. Each one of those is a whole loaf, but it just doesn't rise. It's just, just flat as, as can be. So this is the unleavened bread that they could eat. This is going to be very, very important. It's important for the Passover meal. It's very important for the seven days of this feast. Now, <clears throat> with those things said, let's reread our passage and try to understand uh, the beauties that are, that are hidden in it. So again, Leviticus chapter 23, verses four through eight. These are the appointed feasts of the Lord, the holy convocations, which you shall proclaim at the time appointed for them. In the first month on the 14th day of the month at twilight is the Lord's Passover. And on the 15th day, so that next day, the 15th day of the same month is the feast of unleavened bread to the Lord. Right? For seven days, you shall eat unleavened bread. On the first day, you shall serve a holy convocation You shall have a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. So it's a Sabbath. But you shall present a food offering to the Lord for seven days. On the seventh day is a holy convocation. You shall not do any ordinary work. So it begins with a Sabbath. It begins with rest. And it ends with rest. Okay, so what do we find out in here? Well, this feast is linked to the feast of the Passover. They're they're intertwined. The Passover lamb is, is killed in twilight of the, at twilight on the fourteenth, and then as the day changes, and in the, the Hebrew reckoning of time, the, the day begins, remember with night, and then it goes today. So from the fourteenth goes the fifteenth, and then they, they eat the Passover meal as it turns to night on the fifteenth, but then that starts a week, seven days of this feast of unleavened bread. Begins with the Sabbath. Begins with rest, ends with rest. Okay, so no leavened bread for a whole week. Exodus chapter 12 is going to give us some more information on on this. Exodus 12, verses 14 through 16. This day shall be for you a memorial day, and you shall keep it as a feast to the Lord throughout your generations. This is really important to God. And this is not just some trivial thing. There's meaning to this that every generation of human being needs to know. So, throughout your generations, as a statute forever, you shall keep it as a feast. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, and on the first day you shall remove leaven out of your houses. For if anyone eats what is leavened from the first day until the seventh day, that person shall be cut off from Israel. Okay, this is important. This is a big deal to God. We'll find out why. On the first day, you shall hold a holy assembly, and on the seventh day, a holy assembly. No work shall be done on those days, but what everyone needs to eat, that alone may be prepared for you. Okay, so verse 5 here tells us that if somebody eats leavened bread throughout this feast, it's kind of a big deal. It's, it's a big deal. This is a serious thing. That's interesting. Well, verse 17 through 20, we learn a little bit more. You shall observe the Feast of Unleavened Bread, for on this day I brought your hosts out of the land of Egypt. Okay, now we get to the why. We get to the why. Therefore, you shall observe this day throughout your generations as a statute forever. In the first month from the 14th day of the month that evening. And so he continues on here. Now, this, this feast commemorates God's people leaving slavery in Egypt. This is why it's, it's done. So recall, God's people were slaved, uh, enslaved in Egypt under a tyrannical Pharaoh. Right? In the land of Egypt, they were there for centuries. And eventually, God heard his people's cries. He sends a redeemer. What's the redeemer's name? Moses, right? He sends Moses as his agent of redemption to lead the people out of the land of slavery, out of the land of death, The cruel Pharaoh won't have it. He's not willing to let the people go. There is a series of plagues. How many plagues? Ten plagues. There's a great severity to the last plague. It is this plague of death, the death of the firstborn. The plague comes, and then the people are freed after this. Now, on the night of Passover, when death passes over the homes that had the blood of the innocent lamb painted on the doorposts. After, after that meal, after the Passover, God's people are then to leave. They're to leave in haste. In other words, they don't have time to bake bread like they would normally bake bread, to put, to put the yeast or the leaven in it and have it rise. They don't have time. They are to leave swiftly. So they are to eat with their sandals on and to take their unleavened bread with them and leave slavery, leave death, and head into life and freedom, into the promised land. Okay, so what does God have against leaven? What does he have against leaven? What is going on here? What's the big deal if bread is flat or puffed up? Well, a couple things. What is leaven? What is leaven? Well, in, in Hebrew, uh, something leavened is called chametz, which means bitter or sour. It's something that has yeast in it, and it has that bitterness or sourness that makes bread taste so good. Um, So leaven is what we call yeast. Leaven is what we call yeast. Technically, yeast is a single cell living organism that transforms sugar and starch into carbon dioxide and alcohol through a process called fermentation. The scientific name, let's see if I remember my Latin at all, Um, saccharomyces cerevisiae. Yeast, Saccharomyces cerevisiae. All you guys with kids in classical school can let me know how my uh, pronunciation is wrong this morning. Uh, But that's, you know what it means? It means sugar-eating fungus. Mm. (laughs) Mmm. Give me some of that sugar-eating fungus loaf. Sounds amazing. Leaven yeast is a fungus that ferments sugar and makes dough rise. Some, Some of you could... You could teach me what, what I'm even saying. I have no idea what I'm saying right now. But some of you are really good bakers. You know how this process works, right? You have your starter your mother. You have the whole thing and it, you, you do it. Uh, but the point is this. This weird tasting fungus thing. <laughs> it makes bread rise and it makes it taste good. But here's the nature of yeast. It, sp- it spreads, right? It's it sp- it, it works pervasively. It works through all of the dough. It works secretly. You put that little bit of yeast in the dough and it doesn't stay put. It travels. It moves. It doesn't stay in its little corner. It grows. And it bubbles. And it permeates. And it penetrates through all the the rest of the dough. So in short, you could say that bread rises through this process of decay, fermentation, because what happens is this this yeast eats up all of the oxygen and, and, and nutrients. So it's this kind of process of decay. It's a type of hidden uncleanness, if you want to be dramatic about it. And because of these things, leaven is seen to be a corrupting force, a pervasive power, permeating and puffing up, and it has compounding effects. Here's the key. Leaven is a symbol. What is it a symbol of? Leaven is a symbol of sin, of evil, and corruption because of all those things I just said. Leaven is a symbol of sin, evil, and corruption. Sin, like leaven, doesn't stay put where you put it. It travels, it moves, it spreads, it compounds, it infects. And this is one of the great deceptions about sin that that we live under, that that I can manage it, that I can control it, and that if I put it here, it's it's just going to stay here, and then I can go about doing everything else here, and that will just stay there. But that's not how it works. So this this feast of unleavened bread is about putting away sin, cleaning sin out of your life, cleaning sin out of the house of your soul. And it's not only about getting rid of that that sin, it's about eating unleavened bread, it's about eating holy bread, it's about eating and consuming the bread of life. So it's a feast that uh, when you get down to the heart of it, it's a feast about cleansing, about purification about sanctification cleansing from corruption cleansing from sin cleansing from slavery leaving behind evil and destructive forces again it was a reminder of quickly leaving egypt quickly leaving behind the death and slavery that they knew and entering into a whole new way of being okay so i imagine you're starting to see then now how this ancient feast and these odd details Tie in with who we are And what it means to walk as Jesus' apprentices Daily But let's, let's pull some of these pieces together Because there's, there's some big ones And some little ones that fit together brilliantly So first uh, Again in our story of the exodus God's people they're in slavery right they're In slavery God brings liberty through the Passover The lamb is slain They are saved from death. And then they are told to leave the land of slavery quickly and to take with them unleavened bread. And in this transition, as they head out of their old life into their new, they are not to eat anything with leaven in it. Now here's, here's the wild thing. When, when you put together these three feasts, and I get, I'm getting ahead of myself because I, I can't control myself, um, but because First Fruits is next week, but Passover, the lamb is slain. Jesus is crucified. Unleavened bread, Jesus is buried. Sin is put away. And then first fruits, when the, the, the first fruits of that barley season rise out of the ground, Jesus rises out of the ground. That's Holy Week. Look at that fine-tuning. And that's just three of the seven. Seven. Passover, Jesus crucified, unleavened bread, Jesus is put into the ground. Our sins, our death is put to death, put into the ground and first fruits. New life rises out of the ground and Jesus is the first fruit of the harvest that is to come and we are the harvest that is to come. It's brilliant. It's incredible. So Jesus is our atoning sacrifice. He is the lamb who died In our place. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Remember what John says, John the Baptist, right? That that wild-eyed prophet with honey and locusts, you know, in his teeth. Now he sees Jesus come and he says, behold, behold, right? The Lamb. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why did he say that? Because John knew about Passover. John knew about the temple system. John knew about sin. So Jesus dies, not just to redeem us from death though, just to get death behind us. He comes to teach us about how to live. (laughs) Not just to save us from death, but he comes to teach us, what does it mean to live? How do we live? So when Jesus went into the grave, he took with him our sins. He was buried so that our old sinful nature would be buried and we could operate in a different way. And though he was the spotless lamb, he was the one wrapped in linen like that leaven that was found in the house. He was wrapped in that linen. He was consumed and and he was burned up. And so we're saved from something and to something. We're saved from someone and unto someone. We're saved from the slavery of, of Egypt. We're saved from that death and we are saved to righteousness. We are saved to life. We are saved to being citizens in the kingdom of heaven. And just as Paul, uh, as we looked at last week, calls Jesus our Passover lamb, Paul also makes a connection with Jesus and unleavened bread and leaven and our sin. So if you turn to 1 Corinthians 5, verses 6-8, here's what Paul says. He makes this, con- this connection. So we're not just, you know, making random dot connections here 2,000 years after the fact, trying to make these feasts point to Jesus. Paul and the, and the early Christians were living in light of this. They were making these connections right away as they were seeing how all of this points us to, us to Jesus. So 1 Corinthians 5, 6 through 8, Paul says this. Uh, by the way, this passage, uh, Paul's talking about sin. He's primarily talking about the sexual immorality that's, that's just going crazy and In in Corinth, it's like, it's a frat party there. It's just bad. And so he's talking about like, how do they live properly? And so here's what he says. He says, your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump. (laughs) He wants us to be new lumps. That's a beautiful term. Be a new lump, okay? Be a new lump. As you really are unleavened. You are unleavened for Christ our Passover lamb has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. This is so cool, what what is Paul saying? He's saying that Jesus' sacrifice saves us, but that Jesus' spirit, now living in us, sanctifies us and, and cleanses us, and we are to live in light. Of that. Paul's saying that for those who trust in, in Jesus as the Passover lamb, and tr- the, those who trust in his blood spilt for us, those who trust in him are those who should be getting leaven out of their house. He says we should be celebrating this feast, but don't, don't be doing it with your, with your Cheerios and your bagels. Do this with those things that are in the dark corners of your hearts, you should be celebrating this feast. You should be scouring the house of your soul for any leaven, because it won't stay put. It will destroy you. Scour the house of your soul. Again, Christianity doesn't simply teach that we're forgiven of just the, the dark and, and, and dastardly and, and broken things that we've done in the past. But Christianity teaches us that we are now given a new nature. So we are given a new way to live in the moment and a new future ahead of us. So it teaches us that the old sinful self is buried in the grave with Jesus, put in the grave like the leaven is put Away, and we're risen with Jesus to new life, and are to, to eat that that holy, holy bread. So, with the Spirit, we are now empowered, empowered to be cleaning our houses, cleaning our souls by His Spirit moving in us. See, Paul recognized the symbol of leaven as sin, and he saw all these ancient feasts pointing us to Jesus. Paul knew that Jesus died to redeem us and to justify us and then also to regenerate us. That's this power of resurrection that begins within and then is ultimately fulfilled in in our physical body at some point. But he also teaches a doctrine of sanctification, of cleansing, that we are in process. Like, you don't just get saved and you're like, oh, done, perfect, right? Anybody in the room like that? Okay, good, because we'd have a long talk, right? we are saved to go through this now process of becoming like Jesus degree by degree. Now, Paul knew the Feast of Unleavened Bread showed our need to become more and more like Jesus, that we are to scour every nook and cranny, the attics of our soul, the basement, the cupboards, that we are to hold up the candlelight of God's word to every shadow. I mean, come on. Look at the symbolism. Feather, candle, wooden spoon. What what is buried and hidden in this? The father with his kids are going throughout the house and the candle light is to reveal what, what is there and then this feather is, is to sweep the, the, the sin onto this wooden instrument so that stuff gets carried away and burned and consumed. The word of God comes to reveal the truth about reality, the truth about our souls, the the truth about what we need to to become more like Jesus. And then this this feather that's representative of the dove, which is a symbol of the Holy Spirit, sweeps this this sin, this corruption, this evil, onto a wooden instrument. And with that wooden instrument, it is carried away and consumed, never to be seen again. That's the word of God and that's the Holy Spirit. Spirit, and that's the cross of Jesus Christ. The fine-tuning of what God has, has put into this world and, and baked into histories, it's incredible. It's incredible. Now, sin, um, what, what is this sin that is being put, put away? Uh, sin's a super unpopular word in, in, our, in our culture, but it's a good word. It's a helpful word. It's, it's a real needful word. What is sin? Well, sin is this destructive force that, that is in our lives. Sin tears things apart that are meant to be together. Sin disintegrates things that, that ought to be whole. And sin dehumanizes us. So sin, um, the, the Hebrew word for sin is chata. The Greek word is hamartia. And, and the, the basic meaning of it is, is to fail. For the Hebrew word, chata means to, to fail. It's a failure. A markia is to miss the mark. So I imagine in the game today, there's going to be a lot of chata, right? There's going to be some passes, right? There's going to be some field goal attempts that are nothing but pure chata, right? It's just, you get, you're going to say it, like if there's a missed field goal, chata! Like fail, you failed us! You failed your attempt. Sin is a failure of love. We have such messed up understandings of sin. We think sin is like all the, like arbitrary do's or don't, or arbitrary don'ts um, from a, I don't know, a, a grumpy cosmic killjoy of a God who's like certain fun things. He's like, don't do those. Sin is a failure to love God and to love people. It is a failure to love God and to love people. It is the miss the mark of being truly human. What does it mean to be truly human? You're made in the image of God. God is love, perfect love, self-sacrificial, other-centered love. And so when you are not loving other people and you are not loving God, you're missing the mark of who you are called to be. You are failing to be an image-bearer, to live into the image-bearing as you were made to do. Sin is a failure of love. Failure to love God and to love others. I mean, we could go through so many ways that this happens. When you steal from somebody what is not rightfully yours, you are not loving or respecting that, that, that other person. It is a failure of Love. When you are using another human being in some objectifying way for your own physical pleasure, you're using them as an object and not seeing them as a person or an image bearer of God. You're not loving them or you're not loving God. Sin is a failure to love. We're slaves to it, unable to help ourselves, but Jesus, the Messiah, the spotless lamb who takes away the sins of the world has come. Jesus is our unleavened bread. He is our unleavened bread. He is the bread of life. He calls himself the bread of life. Jesus, like matzah, is is unleavened, has no corruption. He was sinless, innocent through and through. He never failed to love his father. He never failed to love human beings. He never missed the mark he was as he was supposed to be. He, like the matzah bread, is striped and pierced and broken and consumed. And because of him, we can be made whole and healed. Now, sin can be overcome and buried because Jesus died for our sin. Because it's no longer us who lives, it's Christ who lives within us. So look at Galatians 2:20. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And then, 1 Corinthians 15, 17 says, And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, if, if Jesus had not done what he Did if he had not taken our sins and put them in that grave and buried them and had not come out of the ground risen from the dead, then we're trapped. We're locked in our sins. Now with that, uh, please, please hear me, or rather hear scripture on this. Sin is sin is like leaven. It is moving. It is pervasive. It is permeating. It doesn't It doesn't stay put where you put it. No matter how smart you think you are or how good you think you've covered your trail or how tightly of a security system that you've built to kind of keep this one thing that you shouldn't keep but you wanna keep it. It will permeate throughout everything else. I'll, I'll be real blunt. Many of you are trying to manage sin. And you can't. It will kill you. You cannot manage sin. In the famous book, The Mortification of Sin, John Owen, uh, this was published in 1656. He he wrote these words. I've said them to you before. "Do Do you mortify? Do you make it your daily work? Be always at it whilst you live. Cease not a day from this work. Be killing sin or it will be killing you. It will be killing you. Look, you cannot manage sin. You must mortify mortify it. Because if you think your sin is going to stay put, I mean, you're, you're just deceived. That's not how human nature works. That's not how reality is. If you think your sin is going to stay in that corner of your heart, you're, you're wrong. If you think it's going to be contained in that app, you're wrong. If you think it's going to stay hidden in that hotel room, you're wrong. If you think it's going to stay on that fudged tax form, it's tax season. It won't. If you think it's going to stay in your your movie cue or your song list, it, it won't. Or, or you, if you think it's going to simply stay a dark and violent fantasy and it will somehow not affect your actions and how you treat other people, you're wrong. If you don't be killing these things, they will be killing you. We are called, <clears throat> according to this festival, this festival of unleavened bread, we are called to ruthlessly clean the leaven from the house of our souls. We are called to ruthlessly clean the leaven from the house of our souls. So how do we do this? How do we do this? A couple parting thoughts here. Uh, one, uh, we, we live a word-examined life. Let God's word read you. Which means we need to set ourselves under the, th- the authority of God and live in the light of that candle, that light that has come to reveal who he is. And His holiness, and who we are, and our need to become like Him. We are to live a word-examined life, which means we are to meditate on God's Scripture. Which means we are to to build time in His Word throughout our week. We should pray, search me, Lord. The psalmist prays this. We should pray this uh, because there's things about ourselves that we can't see unless He He says. This is in you. And often he'll point that out through his word. There's times in our prayer where he will call attention to something. And then we try to hide it. And we we try to push it back into a corner. And he says, I'm not going to let you. Do you see that? So we should be praying. Search me. Seek, Seek me out. Look in the corners of my soul, Lord. Next I would say, simply confess to God and others confess to God and others. Walk in the light. If we're not walking in the light, if we say there's no sin in us, then we're not walking in the light. We don't have fellowship with him and we don't have fellowship with each other. This is all in, in the book of 1 John. We are to walk in the light, to, to confess. Not just simply acknowledge that it's there, but to confess it, to speak it. And then we are to orient our practices and habits to the kingdom of heaven. This is a life of repentance. Repentance means to to turn your life to another way. Like you're going this way, now you're going this way. Reorient your life. But here's the the way I'm trying to say it. Reorient your practices and your habits to the kingdom of heaven. Those practices and habits that keep you dwelling in the land of death replace those with practices that are pointing you to who Jesus is and pointing you and and rehabituating you to a life of Christ's likeness, and then lastly, I would say, don't despair, because, man, it's it's hard to to get all those crumbs out of your house. Like, there's always going to be that hidden, hidden Cheerio somewhere, right? That, that little crumb of of toast that that's hidden un, underneath the floor somewhere. It's like there's it's always going to be there. So, how do we not despair? Well, we know that Christ is working in us, and this is a process. And someday we will be fully who we are called to be, and all the sin will put away. So there's no need to dis- despair. There's a need for great effort, empowered by a spirit, but no need to despair. And You're not alone in this. You're not alone. Now, uh, brief, brief parting illustration, um, guys. Uh, confession: um, I have mice in my garage. I got, I got mice. Uh, we live by a field. And it's the season, right? The rainy season. I think I know where they're located. Like, they're in the front behind the big tool chest. Like, that's where I see them scurry. So I, I know where they're located. Um, but they don't stay there. <laughs> like, if they stayed there, maybe they'd make a cute little hotel for them or something, right? But they don't, they don't stay there. Turns out they've gotten into our cereal into our flour, they've opened up bags of, you know, the goldfish crackers, right? They're, they're, they're all over the place. Granola bars, ton of food thrown away. And turns out they, they, can, they can just stop wherever they are and pee. Turns out they, they see everything as a toilet, everything. The shells of our food, right? Big toilet. This is disturbing Marla right now, so I'm not looking at her because she's very clean. Um, This is troubling her. It's gross, right? Look, I I have to get rid of them, and I can't just leave one. Can I I just leave one? They like somehow multiply by themselves, it's crazy. (laughs) I get rid of two and I have four more. It's like a hydra, cutting off heads, I don't know. I can't simply remove one. They're compromising the whole space. They're like living leaven with fur and tails. This is crazy. <laughs> to leave one or two and say, ah, uh, it's cute, it's little, it'll just stay in the corner, it won't be a problem, is a denial of the nature of things. It's a denial of the nature of things. I have to scour the garage. I have to seek them all Out And I'm working on that. I've caught nine so far (laughs) My battles not over I think there are still some more mice scurrying in my garage Let me say that one more time. I think there are still some mice scurrying in my garage Take that as a metaphor or literal But I know It is not simply a metaphor for God is calling me to ruthlessly clean the house of my soul. And God is calling you to ruthlessly clean the leaven from the house of your soul. What is it for you? What's that thought you keep trying to put away going, I don't want to deal with that? Friends, we're not just saved from something. We're saved to something. We're not just saved from someone. We are saved to someone. We're not just saved from slavery and death. We are freed, saved to a life of righteousness and life. We are not just saved from who we used to be. We are being saved to be who he is calling us to be. We're being saved under Christ's likeness. May he help us clean the house of our souls. Lord, you are good to us, you're gracious. We love you and we need you. Lord, would you mercifully help us to clean the leaven from the house of our souls, and we thank you that you are our unleavened bread, holy, good, and true, and you bring us life. Lord, may this be helpful. May your spirit work within us as we come to this table and as we worship and sing. It's in the name of Jesus that we pray these sayings. Amen. Amen.